Okay, let's have a prayer, and then we want to share some things together in the Word of God. Lord, we thank you so much that you give us a life of freedom, of childhood and grace. And by your mercy, through all those things, you reveal to us a calling that we have in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to live in freedom and spread our wings and try to figure out what you want us to be when we grow up and all of these kinds of decisions. We want to yield ourselves to your molding hand, to the Holy Spirit who trumpets a calling into our hearts when we least expect it, and who calls us higher into things more noble than we could ever expect. We thank you that we could get together for this precious time, and now, Lord, redeem the time by the presence of your Spirit. We pray together in Jesus' name. Uh, could you turn to 2 Timothy? There is a, a, a theme that I've been given called Receiving the Baton. Or receiving the Baton, if you're French. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I don't know, that probably was a translation from Chinese. Receiving the baton. How many of you know what a baton is? Aha! Just as I figured. How are you going to receive a baton? If you don't know what it means, n'est-ce pas? Alright. Well, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. Alright, here we go. Second Timothy chapter 2, just a couple of verses, and then uh, a couple more here and there. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then in chapter 4, just the first two verses. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And then let's go to Acts. And chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. And Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and the disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And that's good enough. How about that? The beginning of Acts chapter 16, and a young guy named Timothy gets the headlines. It's like uh, the Derby Daily. It was in Derby, you see. And the Derby Daily newspaper, which doesn't have much of a circulation. Derby's not a big town. 
but it had a headline out there. And it says, Extra! Small town boy hooks up with famous apostles on worldwide travels. How did Timothy come into this and make the news? Look, it's right at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. It's like headlines. It's top banner on my Bible. Timothy had a calling on his life, all by the grace of God. And Timothy grew by the grace of God in ways we can't understand. What is it that makes somebody grow in grace and in character and in ministry? What had happened was, about four years ago, Paul came for the first time with Barnabas through this town of Derby. And preaching the gospel there, some people were saved, and Timothy was in the bunch. Just a young person. Who knew him? And uh, we don't know how many people were saved, how big the church of Derby was, but we get the feeling, this is one of the Galatian churches, by the way, uh, but we get the feeling that Derby wasn't a particularly big town. I mean, after all, how big are Derby hats? Paul went back to Antioch and a whole lot of things started brewing and they had to go down to Jerusalem and handle some problems. And About four years later, Paul heads out on his second journey, this time with Silas. And when he gets to Derby, there's the kid, Timmy. But the brothers, the responsible brothers, the elders or whatever, in Derby and Lystra said, Paul, check this out. There's this young guy here. We don't know. We can't explain it exactly. But he's developed godly character in his life. And he ministers the word. So much so that even in Iconium, the elders there and the people who don't even know him respect him for his ministry and for his life. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, Timothy didn't go to any Bible school. He never heard Stephen come. Or Lance Lambert, or he would have had an English accent. <laughs> and yet somehow he grew by grace. Who can explain this thing? Because as far as we know, there were no great people that lived in Derby other than Timothy. And uh, oh, well, well, there was one. Anybody know who the other guy from Derby was that's mentioned in the Bible? It, not Kentucky Derby. Anybody else? Well, among the apostolic band that Paul mentions it, he lists off a bunch of names as a poor old guy named Gaius. What a name to have. But anyway, uh, that's probably why he went into the ministry. And uh, actually, the, the Romans pronounce it Gaius. And he came from Derby. But other than Gaius and Timothy, I mean, Derby was not a particularly uh, well-known town. And so there's a great mystery of how Timothy developed so much by grace. It's the grace of God that raises up somebody and gives them a desire to serve the Lord. And when Paul saw this young man, he said, come on with me. And Timothy began traveling and learning and seeing things that were amazing to behold. Now, 15 years later, when the, uh, when the first and second Timothy were written, you know, when these books were beginning to be written, we get a little backstory on Timothy. And we see that there's some background to his life. I'd just like to show you some of the aspects of his life. If you'll turn to 2 Timothy again, just to note some of the characteristics of Timothy a little bit. I hope that you can identify with this young man. Because in the end, he was just a 
a young person who loved the Lord and followed the Lord. Notice what, he, what the Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Ah, there you go. One of the reasons that Timothy had the growth by grace when he got saved is he had godly upbringing. You just can't beat it. He had a sincere faith. Now, what does that mean? Paul says, Timothy, I'm so glad you had a sincere faith in your upbringing. Now, Grandma and Mom used to pray all the time about things. They used to read the Bible. They used to have devotions. And Timothy was part of that from the time he was just a little guy growing up in dirt. And, of course, somewhere along the line there, later on when... Paul came through to Derby. Uh, Lois and Eunice, as far as we know, got saved. It's possible they got saved earlier by visiting Jerusalem or some other place, but in any case, these were godly women who knew how to pray, who knew how to worship, who knew how to live devoted lives. And you know what Timothy got that was a real prize? A life of devotion. Now when it says sincere faith, it's contrasting skeptical faith. Unfortunately, I was not brought up in a Christian home like most of you. And so when I became a believer, I was saved by grace and everything, but I always had a skeptical faith. I tended not to believe until it was proven to me kind of thing. But uh, Timothy appears to have this kind of sincere faith where he just accepted things. He trusted the word of God. He trusted what his leaders said. And this is indeed a precious qualification and part of his upbringing. We also notice over there in chapter 1, verse 13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Now here's the second thing that Timothy received that was a precious gift. He got to travel with Paul, and even when not traveling, he got to hear Paul. Hear Paul's sound teaching. Balanced, sound True teaching. And he it became a standard for Timothy. He heard this often enough to where he understood sound words. And so Paul's now exhorting him to retain those words. Don't lose that kind of understanding of sound doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, to grow up with people who preach the word of God is really a tremendous blessing. And Timothy had this kind of blessing. And then let's look in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and sound mind or discipline. One day Timothy was traveling with Paul perhaps, and uh, Timothy was involved as they went from church to church. Timothy was active in the church. But something in Timothy began to manifest. Some gift began. I don't know what it was. Some people think it was the gift of, of evangelism because Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, but we don't know. It may have been the gift of prophecy. It may have been the gift of a pastor. It may be a gift of teaching. It may be speaking in tongues. Uh, we, we don't really know. But what happened was Paul and the others laid hands on Timothy and confirmed that gift within him. 
What a wonderful thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to have a gift that God can use in His service. And Timothy had such a gift. And now Paul's reminding him to kindle that gift, stir it back up. You know, you can have a gift and not use it. And uh, Paul was telling Timothy not to go along that line. Notice also in verse 8 of chapter 1. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, here's one of the things that happens when you're traveling with Paul. Inevitably, Paul gets a sore throat. And he's preaching out in the city of Corinth on a soapbox. And so after Paul gets through with his fifth message, he kind of goes, Timothy, you got a Ricola? Yeah, yeah, here you go, Paul. He says, hey, Tim, get up on the box and go ahead and preach the gospel. Timothy says, me? He gets up there and he says, well, I like to talk about the Christ. And Timothy began to preach the gospel. Well, it turned out that Paul used Timothy in the preaching of the gospels. They went from place to place. And so Timothy had the experience of being a witness of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, especially while you're young, there is no more valuable education in seeing the living God work in your life and on your behalf than being an active witness of the gospel. There are many Timothys who are chicken. But Timothy didn't have a choice. Paul said, okay, Tim, up on the box. But he didn't. And I know that you're chicken. But uh, may the Lord help you to find some other people who really desire to preach the gospel, whether on the campus, at college, or whether at school. And uh, It's a very brave thing, but you learn tremendous lessons in preaching the gospel. And Timothy also had that in his background. And so as a summary verse about Timothy's upbringing, I love uh, 2 Timothy 1.14. Because here we see that what's been accumulated in Timothy's life is like a prize. Paul says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure. I like that. That's the way Long John Silver always said treasure. Treasure. Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You know what? If you live the Christian life by the grace of God, a treasure is found in your life. And here was young Timothy and already there was a treasure in his life. I wonder what you think that treasure would be. It doesn't really say, does it? Maybe the accumulated experiences that he's had, the answers to prayer, Jesus' faithfulness. Maybe the treasure was just Jesus himself dwelling in Timothy. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And yet Paul says now guard that treasure. By the Holy Spirit. Don't allow the enemy to steal that treasure in your life. Now, the reason I spend some time going through all of this is these privileges of grace that I've just gone over briefly sounds an awful lot like most of your lives. Most of you, not all, 
But most of you have been very privileged to be brought up in the grace of God. And that grace has planted in your life treasure after treasure. Sound teaching, opportunities to trust God, opportunities to exercise a sincere faith. Timothy, I feel like, is a great help to you and I, not to me so much, because I did not grow up in the church as a child. I was saved at 20 years old. But many of you have known the Lord since you were little. Some of you got saved or said you trusted Jesus when you were like six years old. And got baptized later on when you were real old, maybe like nine. And, and I know that you think that you're just a nothing. And you've got nothing. But the fact of the matter is, you've got a treasure. When I got saved at 20, I didn't have any treasure in me. No treasure in this pirate. I, I came to Jesus and I didn't know the Word of God. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know how to exercise faith. I didn't know how to pray. I hadn't heard people pray. I hadn't heard those... You know, every church has a couple of crazy women who are tremendous prayers. You know, when I say crazy, I just... You know what I'm saying. They're different than you and I. You know, they wear like four pairs of nylons. But when it comes time to pray, man, you just sit there and listen to them. And if you stop laughing about them a little bit and listen to them, you hear some people who really know God and really know Jesus and really know how to pray. That is more valuable than taking a course at seminary on how to pray. Because you are around praying crazy women. All I know is I'm an old guy and only one, there's a couple of reasons why I'm still alive and kicking today and one of them is crazy praying women. Whenever I see them, I salute them. Try to give them money just to keep praying. Not really. It's very valuable. You know what? You have received the grace of God. You have a background that's something like Timothy because it's rich in all of that. You guys don't realize. You know, I, I'm just reading this book. Uh, Mac Grant, you know Mac, he gave me a wonderful book about the guy who's, who's like called the father of modern missions. Uh, and uh, this guy, his name is Groves. And he came to believe, he was a dentist. And by reading the Bible, he came to his own conviction that anybody should be able to break bread and that you should do it every Sunday. Now, he did this in England and it caused such a controversy because in England they didn't do that. And you had to have an official preach, priest to break bread. And it caused great controversy. But, you know, all he was doing was doing what the Bible told him. We should break bread every Sunday. Every time we meet, we should break bread. And just anybody can break it. It doesn't have to be some holy uh, priest. Now, most of you grew up in a church where you do that all the time. And you go, la, la, la. Oh, no, 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 those pieces of cracker. Oh, no. How long are we going to have to sing and pray now before they break the cracker? <laughs> you know, but you, you, you've grown up in something that people had to fight for. Even get kicked out of church for. Can you believe that? People are kicked out of church. You're out of the church. Why? Because you believe you should have communion every Sunday and anybody can serve you know, you guys just assume that this is the way to do it. But there's a whole history of warfare behind 
all of these precious treasures that you just uh, like exist. You know what? I'd like to take Wally on a mission trip. A- have you been on a mission trip yet? Uh, yeah, one one person in the back, and uh, she hasn't returned yet. But now uh, for the rest of us. <laughs> I'd like to take you all on a mission trip with me when I go to Siberia with a one-way ticket. (laughs) And just throw you in there and uh, let you be a Christian in Siberia. Because you would be amazed. Brothers, you would be amazed how much you know about Jesus. I, one time, one time I went out to Siberia. You know, I go out there. But I take I take a round trip ticket, and so one time I went out there, and I went out with three brothers. Now one guy was like uh, thirty, and the other two guys were old guys, you know, over fifty. You know, we don't calculate after fifty. And we went out with the three to get these guys, and these guys were businessmen, you know. And so we went out there, and there's so much to do in Siberia that finally the brother who was kind of coordinating, he says, "Oh, he started. He, these guys hung out and listened to me preach the gospel for a week. The second week." The coordinator says, okay, you, I want you to go out here to the northern part of Siberia. You, I want you to go to the southern part. And they got interpreters and they started going out. And these guys said, wait, 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 we've never done it. What, 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 what do we know? What, 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 what? By the end of that week, they'd seen a hundred people get saved. And they realized how much they knew about the gospel of Jesus. But they never exercised their gospel chops. You know? Chops. You know, it's like if you play trumpet and you don't play for a while, your chops are no good. You know, it's hard to play. Anyway, uh, and they had gospel chops. They didn't even know it until they got out to Siberia and found out. That's why I'd like to take you on a mission trip with a one-way ticket. So you could experience for yourself firsthand how much Jesus you know. How much of the testimony of Jesus has been entrusted to you? It's really quite a wonderful thing. You know that song, right? Consider then how you shall live And just how to spend the days And the freedom He has won for you. See, that's grace. By grace you've been set free. Now what are you going to do with that freedom? You're just going to hoard it? And be a do-nothing with a calling on your life? Because don't forget, the grace of God involves a calling on our lives. Well, here we go. When we get back to 2 Timothy, we discover... Excuse me. I talked about Siberia, and I'm suddenly cold. When we go back to 2 Timothy in chapter 2, we see that the time has come for a change. For a passing of the torch. Now let me explain why why we use this phrase. I'm going to use torch rather than baton. If you are if you are on the track team and you are on the relay team, that little aluminum thing like this cylinder is called a baton. And you have to pass that baton. Have you ever seen like the relay race in the Olympics and the, and the guy drops it? It's over. The race is over. You have to pass that baton uh, four times, right? Between Four people, three passes. Okay. Uh, And and that's what the relay race is about. Now, you know what? That that tradition comes from ancient Greece and the marathon games. 
But back in the days of ancient Greece, they did use a little aluminum, aluminum cylinder because that hadn't been invented yet. And so what they used was an actual torch, a burning torch. And they ran the race and they had to pass the torch. And when you see an actual picture of the way it was done in the Greek games, not only did they have a torch, but they actually had a little shield. It was it's maybe just like this size, like here. It wasn't a big, huge war shield. But they actually carried a shield. In one hand, they had to carry the shield. In the other hand, put the torch behind it and run with the torch and keep it lit. So it wasn't even a question of dropping it on the ground, but keeping the light lit as you're running your race until you get to pass it off to the next person. So you needed both the torch and the shield. And the reference of many Bible teachers seem to think that 2 Timothy 2.2 is referring to such a marathon relay race. And you can see very easily here that there are four people involved in this particular race. The things which you have heard from me, so that's the first runner. The first runner is Paul. Paul has been carrying the torch. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men. So now, Timothy, you take what you've received from me. I'm passing the torch to you. Now, Timothy, now I want you to take this torch and pass it on to faithful men. And then notice it says, who will be able to teach others also. And so yet there's another handoff to be made further down the line. Four in all. The first one is the Apostle Paul who's carrying the torch of the testimony of Jesus, what you heard about this morning through our brother. Paul carried the torch of the testimony. But now there was a problem. But what was the problem? Paul was about to die. He, he, was, he was about to be martyred. Don't notice it in chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. So he's finished the course of his race, and he's run faithfully, holding the torch and keeping it lit. And now he says, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have received from me, that wonderful testimony, these take and pass on to faithful men who in turn will be able to pass on to faithful men. And so down through the centuries, there is a continuity in this marathon race and the need to pass the torch. Now the times have become more difficult, and you can see this in 2 Timothy. The church has come to decline. Used to be in the early days of the church, you might say in one sense, almost everybody carried the torch of the testimony. But now many people have uh, fallen away from the Lord a little bit. Notice what he says in chapter 3. Uh, just read a few verses. And just remember, he's talking about the church. Now when I say the church, I don't mean your church. But I mean the church as a whole. All the church. You've got to include a lot of other groups and people whose hearts have grown cold, who don't really know Jesus. And Paul says, you know what, already difficult times have come. He says, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Do I need to go on with the rest of the list? Sounds like today. The church is in a state where there's many, many Christians who are not 
not only carrying the torch, not only not carrying the torch, but aren't even living by grace. They're just living completely for themselves. They're saved by grace, and now they live completely selfishly. 100% selfish. Used to be an old uh, Negro uh, spiritual, a black, a black hymn sung by the slaves. They used to say, I'm going to tell Paul and Peter and Moses too. God wants you 100%, 99 and a half won't do. That's what they used to say. A lot of people, not 100%. Things have fallen on tough times. But somebody, who's going to carry the torch? in this time. And we realize when we see this kind of situation and see that Paul is about ready to pass away, we have to ask ourselves, how will the torch be passed on? Who? Who will receive the torch? Hmm. You see, God is always a few steps ahead. Thank God for that. Because he's a sovereign God. When things decline and things become difficult, God already knows about that. And there's four things that he has done to prepare for the passing of the torch. Very sovereignly. God is always preparing a vessel to bear the testimony. Now that could be you. I hope it is you. You're certainly called to do it. But what I'm saying is, even in the darkest hour of the church, God is preparing a vessel. God is preparing some people who really have a heart like Timothy. Preparing. Just like he prepared Timothy. You know, Timothy is a young man. He didn't realize God was preparing him. But God was. And even as you grow as a Christian there, wherever you assemble together, I'm sure you're not always aware that God's preparing you for something. God is sovereign. He's always prepared somebody to carry the vessel of testimony. And in the process of preparation, the second thing God sovereignly does is He connects those who would carry the testimony with those who have carried it in the past. And so it isn't an accident that Paul ran into Timothy and Timothy began to travel with Paul. Because you see, the torch has to be handed on from somebody who, is, who really knows the testimony of Jesus. And some of you are so privileged and blessed because you actually go to a church meeting where those who preach know the testimony of Jesus. They speak sound doctrine. They speak out of revelation. It's a wonderful thing. One of the things that really causes my heart to be heavy is when I see so many people, so many true Christians who have no idea what the testimony of Jesus is. Have no idea. What you just heard this morning, and some of you maybe fell asleep while it was going on, that what you heard this morning from our brother Stephen is something so privileged to hear. There's so few people that ever heard that. You know, I was a Baptist preacher. I got saved and I went into Baptist church, I went to seminary, I became a Baptist preacher. And for almost 10 years, I was a Baptist preacher before I ever heard this matter of the testimony of Jesus. 
and it rocked my life. And I left that Baptist church, and I left being a pastor, and I had to learn all over again what it's like to live not for myself, but for Jesus. And you have heard this already. You're only 16 or 18 years old. This is a precious truth. And God is brushing you against some people who have already carried the torch of the testimony. And you know, because of books and tapes and things, it isn't just that you have to have somebody near you, although this is wonderful, but sometimes, you know, just by reading books of some people who know the testimony of Jesus, it can shape and change your life. I don't know how many of you even have heard of, of T. Austin Sparks. How many of you have heard of this name? T. Austin Sparks. Most of you good. Now listen, I know that those books are heady, but if you really love the Lord, you should at least pick up uh, one of his books, like this, uh, uh, you know, The School of Christ, or one of those books, and read what this brother has to say. Because he came from England, and he lived in the middle of the 20th century, and he's died and gone out to the Lord. But this man is a man of, of revelation vision of the testimony of Jesus. And his words can shape our lives. As a matter of fact, recently a biography came out on Theos and Sparks, and it's called Shaped by Vision. Talking about his own life. He was, I think he was a Baptist. Yes, he was. He was a Baptist pastor. And then he saw God's vision, and then he left that. It shaped his whole life. And so the second sovereign thing is God connects us with those who are carrying the testimony along the way. The third thing that happens is a moment that all of us hope never happens, but it always ends up coming. And that third moment is this. It's the, it's the moment where circumstances sovereignly produce the exchange. Now, what, what does that mean by that? Here it is. Paul died. Now, when Paul died, Timothy was ready. And he took the torch. The exchange of the testimony comes sovereignly by God. Paul was telling Timothy to take hold of it, but actually when Timothy died, now it was up to Timothy. And not just Timothy, but thank God there were others who were faithful apostles and servants who were carrying this testimony. The church is to carry the testimony, you see. But there was a sovereign circumstance that caused this uh, exchange from one hand to the other. And the fourth thing is that when you receive this torch of testimony. There's always somebody beyond you now that the Lord is preparing for you to hand the torch to them. Notice what Paul says. The things you've heard from me pass on to faithful men. And of course that means women too. Faithful men and women who will carry the torch faithfully and pass it on to somebody else. So you see, I have to say this. The torch of the testimony is something God sovereignly cares for. He cares about the testimony of Jesus. It's missing in so much of the church. I'll try to explain a little bit of that tomorrow, God willing. But in any way, it's so, so important to the Lord that He sovereignly makes sure that it gets passed from one generation to another and to another that the testimony of Jesus may always be sounded in the earth. What a wonderful thing. Now, um, now, there's much I could say about this whole thing of passing the torch, but I only want to talk about two things regarding this passing the torch, and then, and then we'll be ready to go. Because I want you to get down to dinner before 5 o'clock. 
You get there two minutes after five, the line is two hours long. <laughs> you get there two minutes before, <laughs> you're the first one there. You know? All right, here we go. Two things. There's a new level of grace that a, that a servant of God must come to in order to carry the torch of the testimony. I want to talk about the new level of grace. And the second thing is to just realize for a second, not to scare you, but of the solemn nature of this matter of bearing the testimony of Jesus. So those two things, a new level of grace and the solemn charge given to Timothy regarding these things. Okay, now, let's talk about the new level of grace. There in chapter 2, verse 1, we see this statement. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now this is a new level of grace that we need to come to. I will explain it like this. The first level of grace is this. Mama, mama. And big mama bird comes and puts the little worms in your mouth. Mama, I am a helpless Christian. I just receive by grace. And God says, good, I will give you by grace. Freely receive. Receive your salvation. Receive your forgiveness of sin. Receive your answers to prayer. Receive your guidance. It's all 100% free. And you're just my little eaglet in the nest. And you're on welfare. Obama will keep you there. Okay, so now the whole thing is everybody is going to get assistance and you're saved by grace and it's receiving grace. Now listen, you need to receive all the grace of God. It's there for you and it's free. It's a wonderful thing. But then comes a moment where you move to a higher level of grace. From grace to grace to a second level of grace. And what is that? Be strong in grace. Now that sounds a little strange. Because I thought, I, I thought grace was this. Mama, mama. And suddenly Paul says, now be strong in grace. What does that mean? I go, mama, mama. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a second stage necessary for grace. And it's found when you find the literal translation of this, be strong in grace. Uh, one of the things that helped me when I went to school was studying uh, Greek. And there are some Greek teachers who've written books and things that really help us understand some Greek words. And this phrase, be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus, actually says literally, it's reflexive if you understand grammatical things. What it really says is this, Timothy, my son, Strengthen yourself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Strengthen yourself. Now what does that mean? The first stage of grace is completely receiving. Mama, mama. The second stage, God says, I have laid the worm in the nest. Go over and get it. Strengthen yourself. Are you hungry? Don't just cry out, mama, mama. There's the word of God. Read it. There is my feeding, read it. There is the Holy Spirit, take it. Strengthen yourself. Ah, now there's some responsibility on our part, you see. How do we go from grace to grace? 
At first we just receive, but a second grown-up stage is this. Now, now, Timothy, I'm about to die, and my time is almost up. Now, you can't keep depending on me for everything. Every time there's a problem, you run to me. Now, Timothy, it's time to strengthen yourself in the grace of Christ Jesus. Timothy, do you hear the Lord speaking to you? Well, yes, I do, but I'd rather hear you speaking to me, Paul. Well, Paul, uh, Timothy, I'm going to go on to be with Jesus now. And you're going to have to hear the voice of the Lord on your own. Strengthen yourself in the grace of Christ Jesus. Because, Timothy, my first illustration is, I want you to be somebody who's running with the torch, and you've got to be strong to do that. You can't let the enemy attack you, make you feel condemned, make you feel like you're not a Christian, uh, come to you this way and that. You've got to strengthen yourself in the grace. Now, listen, strengthening yourself in the grace which is in Christ Jesus still means that it's Christ's strength that you're taking. And it's still the grace of God. But now you need to lay hold of something. It's now no longer time for you to be passive. How long have you been hearing messages about the testimony of Jesus? Now, have you ever made it your own? Have you ever sat down, written out what it means, studied the Word, prayed until you understood? It's one thing to hear our brother Stephen Kahn get up there and says, Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and then he explains it, and you're going like this. Yes, Lord. Yes. Now, are you going to go home with that scripture and bring it, lay it out before the Lord and say, Now, Lord, I want to lay hold of what this means. Strengthen yourself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason that this is a challenge is that Timothy was not what you would call or define as strong. As you would say, Paul Paul was a very strong guy. Timothy, however, was not so strong in one sense of the word. And so to hear be strong in the grace, it sounded intimidating, I'm sure. What was Timothy like? You have studied Timothy before. What was he like? Anybody want to risk being wrong? Anybody? Just give me one characteristic about it that, that we find out from First Timothy second. Now suddenly you awakened up and you said, "Lord, I got to make this my own. I've been just listening. Oh, oh, I actually have to think." Okay. Anybody? All right. Is young. Yeah, he still has spiritual acne. <laughs> There's still a certain insecurity in Timothy's life. And you, you, now, let me show you, because uh, just in case you don't understand that, uh, look in 2 Timothy, uh, let's see, let me find it. Um, First Timothy 4, 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Why do people look down on somebody's youthfulness? 
Well, because they act like a youth. <laughs> yeah, they strengthen yourself, grow up a little bit here. Don't let people look down on your youthfulness, but I, 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 but I, I'm not sure of myself and all of that. Well, it's time to grow up a little bit. And notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts. So Timothy still had to deal with and be perplexed by and be tempted by youthful lusts. Now how can you possibly carry the torch of the testimony when you feel kind of young and you're still dealing with those youthful issues that continually tempt and distract and everything? You know how? Grow up, Timothy. Strengthen yourself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Another thing about Timothy, besides his youth, was right. He was fearful by nature. A little bit timid, you might say. And none of you are timid. You're all great extroverts. But Timothy was a little bit and so uh, notice what he has to say to him there in 2 Timothy chapter 1 uh, and uh, he says uh, kindle afresh the gift that is within you at verse 7 for God has not given us a spirit of timidity no timidity Timothy timidity Timothy Ah, that's why he was uh, had that. Uh, he was afraid because his name was close to that. Huh? Timidity, timidity. Well, there you go. You see. Notice also. Turn to First Corinthians sixteen. First Corinthians chapter sixteen and verse ten. First Corinthians sixteen, verse ten. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he's doing the Lord's work. <laughs> oh, such a precious brother. You know, just from that description right there, you know Timothy was Chinese. <laughs> a little bit timid. He's good. And now Paul says, okay, uh, Timothy, go over to Corinth and see those people. Those Greeks, those uh, those uh, audacious, proud, uh, tongue-speaking charismatics, and go over there and teach them the things of God. So Timothy, so Paul has to write a little note to the Corinthians. Now, when Timothy comes, don't you scare them away. Timothy says, "Well, well, I tried to talk, but they just wanted to uh, do something else." That's what a dear brother Benjamin goes through when he has to work with the young people. No, he just wants to talk to the young people. The young people want to do something else. So he goes, ah, nah, 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 nah. no, he doesn't do that. <laughs> Anybody who works with young people, they say, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Uh, well, anyway, uh, one other thing about Timothy. So, uh, so it's exactly like you. Is First uh, Timothy, chapter five, verse twenty-three. Well, it's not exactly like you. Because I don't want you to use a little wine. But no longer drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, here's Paul. Basically, Paul could preach with a spear in his side and just have it been at stone 20 minutes ago. 
And now here's Timothy, and Paul says, Timothy, time for you to speak. <coughs> I feel a little sickish. He had frequent ailments. Maybe he had, uh, you know, allergies. In any case, he wasn't the strongest guy. But you know, brothers and sisters, when you look down through church history, some of the leading people who carried the torch of the testimony were people who were not strong physically. So Paul says to his frequent ailments, Timothy, strengthen yourself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see in the end how we grow from grace to grace. How do we grow from receiving grace to laying hold of grace? Of course, it's by way of the cross. That's the secret. Timothy didn't want to especially face all of the problems, the opposition, the suffering he would have to face. He didn't feel qualified. I mean, imagine this. Imagine somebody saying this. Now, nobody said this to him. But he thought it. Here it is. How can I ever replace Paul? Think about that. Paul the Apostle, who wrote all those epistles. And Paul and his epistles were going... How could he possibly follow his footsteps? But you see, the thing about carrying the torch of the testimony of Jesus is you don't have to follow or imitate Paul. You just have to carry the testimony of Jesus in the truth that's in your life. So Timothy, deny yourself and all your fears. Lay hold of this calling. I'm giving you the torch. Now Paul went on to mention three other ways that he would grow by, by being strengthened by the grace of God. He said this, the second one, as you know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, after he talks about the marathon, what's the second thing he mentions? Be a good soldier. You know what it means to strengthen yourself? It means to do what a soldier does. He signs up. He goes through boot camp. He goes through the process of learning obedience of the commanders. He goes through learning how to use weapons appropriately and all this kind of stuff. Be a good soldier. Then third, be a good athlete. You've got to be self-disciplined. Timothy, you can't run the marathon in the, uh, in, in the marathon in the, uh, in the, marathon, in the uh, Olympics if you don't train See, there comes a place in a Christian's life where that we need to lay hold of the scriptures and begin to learn, begin to write out some notes and things that we're seeing. It's no good just relying on other people teaching us all the time. There comes a point where we need to do it ourselves. Do you do that? Are you studying to show yourself approved unto God? As Timothy was exhorted by, Tim, by, by Paul. See, there's a time to lay hold of the self-discipline. And then forth. You need to deny yourself like a farmer. Basically, a farmer denies himself immediate gratification in order to plant seed in the ground and have a harvest at the end of the year. So right now, he's working hard. Right now, you see, he can live on the seed right now. They can make a lot of you know, flour for bread and everything this year. But if they didn't plant the seed next year, they'd have none. So a farmer always defers his gratification for the sake of his higher calling, which is to produce fruit. But we've got to strengthen yourself in the grace 
of Christ Jesus. Otherwise, all you want is everything now, everything my way, all the latest games, all the latest things. You see, and that's not the way of a servant of God. Well, let me just finish by looking for just another moment. If you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and just this, this uh, solemn charge, as I have it here in my translation. You guys got an NIV? Is that what you have? What do what what, what you mean? What, what does it say there, the first couple of words in, in chapter 4, verse 1? Okay, keep going. I will give you this charge. I will give you this charge. My New American Standard, I like the way it says it, but I won't go into any more. It just says, I solemnly charge you. Now this is just about the last thing that Paul ever says to Timothy before he dies. And here's what he says. Now Timothy, I'm passing the torch, the testimony on to you, and I'm solemnly charging you to be faithful. Now this is a very solemn thing. When you take on this calling, it's the most important thing that you could ever do. It doesn't matter if you have, it doesn't mean you have to go into the ministry, you might have a job, you might be married, live in a home, whatever, maybe go to school. But if you desire to be a vessel of testimony, it's a very solemn charge. And I just want to explain what that means by the four phrases that he uses right after that. In chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you, first of all, in the presence of God. Now the thing about the testimony of Jesus is, you're in the presence of God. And Paul was charging Timothy in the presence of God. In other words, Paul was not saying, Timothy, I am commanding you. No, he was saying, Timothy, in the presence of God, take the torch. You are in the presence of God, Timothy. He's watching your life. Take the torch. In the presence of God, and if Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Here's the second solemn matter that has to do very much with the testimony as is. I am telling you before Christ, before whom you will stand at the judgment seat. So your decision of what to do, whether to take the cross and be obedient and be a bondservant and carry that torch, you are standing in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus before whom you will one day stand at the judgment seat. Now all Christians will stand at the judgment seat. But Paul was trying to make Timothy aware of, think about it. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what will you be able to say about your life? That will be the time where your life will truly be evaluated according to spiritual lines. The Lord doesn't mind if you have a job and make money, even make good money. But what have you done with your time and your freedom and your money and your gifts that He gives you? We'll be evaluated by the Lord. And he's saying to Timothy, and I just want you to grow up and realize you're going to be evaluated by the Lord. It's not just you live the life the way you want to live it and there's no problem. The third thing he says in Solomon is this. And I solemnly charge you by his appearing, 
and then fourth, and his kingdom. He's saying, now you're being charged to carry the testimony in light of Jesus soon appearing and coming again. Our brothers have been sharing last night and today about the fact that Jesus is returning soon. And even though that may not seem like a very living thing to you at the present time, your calling is in light of his appearing. It's as if to say, I, I don't want to heap too much on poor old Timothy, but it's as if Paul's saying, now Timothy, the Lord's coming back has to do with your faithfulness. And I'm appealing to you based on his kingdom. Jesus is the king and he sits on the throne. And your carrying that torch of the testimony will be proof that you're a servant of the king and that his kingdom is here on earth. Because even before Jesus comes back, his kingdom is here on earth in the church and it's seen by those who faithfully bear the testimony of Jesus. So it's a very solemn thing, isn't it? So my dear brothers and sisters, I just want to close with a prayer and pray that you'll realize the importance of your own consecration in your life. May you give all to the Lord Jesus. He's a wonderful Lord. Let's pray. We come before you, Lord, in this day, centuries after Timothy lived. And we realize that the days continue to go, wax worse and worse. And your coming is sooner and sooner. And Lord, even though it seems like we have a lot of time and freedom by the grace of God, we hear your call in our lives to rise up and to be responsible, to lay hold, to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus in such a way that we're being prepared to bear the testimony of Jesus. Thank you for these dear young ones who are here today. And I pray they may find it in their heart to truly be consecrated as living sacrifices in order that you might do your work in their lives. Your sovereign work is being done across the world today, even as you're preparing a people for yourself. Oh, may you find servants of God right here in this room whose hearts say yes, who step up to the challenge, who are ready for the preparation and ready for the day when the torch will be passed on to them. Oh, give us grace to understand these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.